Praise God. Please take your Bibles and turn to Revelation, the last verse of the last chapter of the last book of the Bible. <laughs> Can you believe it? <laughs> we are here. Now, don't get too excited because this will be a five-part message on this last verse. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think the first time I taught through Revelation was a 10-part series on just Revelation 1.1. Uh, praise God. You have a treasure trove of, of Scripture to go to in the series which we have online in the book of Revelation. So that's there for you. I'm Susie, I'm looking at you because you kind of put me up to go through it again. You and I think a couple people here because we actually uh, had, had done a, a series through the book of Revelation and uh, then I was being asked to do it again. And I said, I taught on that like five years ago. We got a whole series on the book of Revelation. You know, you can check it out. It's online. And I'd be asked by different people, mostly the gals in the church was a trip. Can you do Revelation again? And I'm like, and, uh, and Susie wasn't with us when that first series took place. And she was encouraging me as well. But then I was like, well, you know what? We're going to take, we're gonna, I think it was Susie might even have this idea. Let's take the tapes and have them made in the CDs because everything was on cassette, you know? We sent them in the mail, and I said, we have those. They weren't online yet, and the mailman lost them all, or the UPS, or whoever it was, and wait, I never really thought about it. Susie, did they really lose them all? No, I'm just teasing. We got a box back, and I think it had like three or four tapes in it with other people's junk, and that's all they found. I'm like, well, this isn't our stuff, Some, somebody's garage sale or something, and then Susie was like, <laughs> if I remember right, looks like you have to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> with her sweet sense of humor. And I was like, wow. So we did it again. And we're on the last verse of the book of Revelation. Of course, it's been a long haul, but we've had a lot of studies and not just book of Revelation. We've jumped around a bit. That's why it's taken us so long. But I'm very happy to be at the last verse of the book of Revelation. And it'll just be today's study. And I love the way the book of Revelation ends. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Amen. Now, of course, the verse before that, he who testifies of these things says, yes, I'm coming quickly. That's the Lord Jesus. He's coming. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That's a prayer of John. should be our prayer. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. And the grace, verse 21, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. And I love that because what a great ending because that's God's heart. He wants to show grace to everybody. He loves everybody. He so loved the world, right? The whole world. And we know the world there means the world because that's how John used the word world of the lost, wicked world. And that same world that he loves and gave himself, his son for in that same verse, verse 16, is the world that rejects him because it goes on to say that the world loved darkness more than light. And they hated the sun. That's the world he loves and he died for. Don't ever think that he just loves us or wonder if he loves you, Amen. We live in a time when everybody's so polarized and Christians are being accused of being you know, bigoted and they only love each other and they don't love the world. Well, God so loved the world and Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, commanded us to love our enemies, amen? He says, because your Father in heaven loves his enemies, amen? So we need to make sure that we're not like Westboro Baptist Church where you're like, you know, picketing funerals and saying servicemen are in hell at their funerals and that God hates gays and everything else. God hates all of every, all, all humanity that's become wicked. Amen? I mean, his, his, the Bible does say, if you look up the word hate, there is a holy, it's not the way we understand hate, it's a holy anger against that which is evil and that which has become evil. But at the same time, he loves us and wants to extricate us from the hole that we've dug in our rebellion against him. Amen? Amen. So much so that he gave his son. And he didn't send his son, the very next verse says, into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him may be saved. Amen? That's the heart of God, you guys. We got an awesome God. And I love the way that verse, that it ends. He wants the grace of God to be for all. Now, the context of the book of Revelation is those that will receive the grace of God is those that repent, those that turn to him, those that love him. And the way the book of Revelation unfolds, it reveals that God is working on humanity in such a way to bring their sins to their attention, even the judgments. The Bible says God brings his judgments in the earth that the nations may learn righteousness. So he wants them to repent. And I looked at the last message I did, 
I recalled what I was going to teach on, and I taught on it, but I left several pages of notes out. But I already had a message for verse 21 prior to that, written out, ready to go. And I continue to seek the Lord because, man, I've got two messages here, a message and a half here. And I continue to pray about it. It's a lot of good stuff. And you know what conclusion I came to? I continue to pray. And I'll, I'm sure I'll share some of those things in the future. That, those, that study time will not be in vain. But just to go through the entire book of Revelation, chapter by chapter, not like I did with Chad on, the, on Good Fight Radio program, where I just re reviewed every chapter, and he, he was wondering if I could get through it in an hour, and we did that, Chad. We got through it in an hour. But to God's glory, praise the Lord. You know, and I don't want to do exactly that. I want to do something different. I want to go through every chapter again, and I want to do it. You know, I'm not going to look notes and anything like that. I'm just going to go from the heart, from the scripture, and I want to look at God's grace in each chapter. Because a lot of people do not think of the book of Revelation as a book of grace. They think of it as a book of judgment in the end times, which it very much is that as well. Absolutely. But it's also full of grace. It shows the heart of God. It's the ultimate book, in my conviction, on theodicy. In theodicy, the fancy theological word, it's a word that has to do with the explanation of evil. You know? And... Uh, well, when you look at the explanation of evil, a lot of non-Christians say, well, I, I can't accept the God of the Bible because there's evil in the world. And if God is good and he's all-powerful, how come there's evil in the world? And my point is, God's word is the best answer to evil. If you're an atheist, you can't even admit there's evil. You can't even say there's evil. Because if we are all the result of just some accidental cosmic explosion and we're just kind of evolved gases... How could you speak of anything being right or wrong? There's no transcendent lawgiver. There's no ultimate purpose or meaning. There's no right or wrong. We're just the result of a, a pre or an explosion. Everything's just predetermined. Makes no sense at all. So an atheist really can't even decry evil, although they know deep down there's evil. The deist, or the one who says, you know, God made everything and he just kind of left us to ourselves, that doesn't really have a really good explanation of God because that would be a, a, not an all-powerful God or a very uncaring God. Amen? Amen? The answer to evil, and it's found wonderfully throughout the book of Revelation, and that's one of the things I really tripped out on going through the book of Revelation, is how many God, times God reveals the odyssey or the answer to evil, and that is his righteous judgment, Amen. and that is his mercy and grace for those who repent, and that is the fact that God himself entered into the evil Right? And became a man and suffered more than anybody on the planet. When you're talking to somebody about evil, let them know that God became a man and he entered into our sufferings and he was more marred than any other person. Yet the only difference is, is we're guilty. He is innocent. And the other difference is he suffered more than anyone so that we could be saved. And throughout the book of Revelation, you, what you hear over and over again when God's judgments come, you, call, you see the Lord God pleading with people to turn in the churches, in the world. And it's amazing because what you hear is the refrains in heaven. Righteous and true are thy judgments, O God, by angels, by believers, the saints. Because right now we see through a glass darkly. Amen. But when we see everything, the way God wants us to see everything, clearly reality, we'll say, wow, God, you are full of mercy. Wow, God, righteous and true are thy judgments. We won't have any doubts in heaven. We won't wonder if God got anything wrong. And we ought not think like that now because he is on the throne, which is one of the beauties of the book of Revelation because our world is very topsy-turvy right now. All kinds of crazy things going on, right? The, the media, mainstream media, much of it, a lot of the left-wing woke politicians, they want to shove homosexuality, transgenderism down the throats of our little kids. In fact, they're pleading that we should allow transgenders to you know, you know, do their sexual dances before our teeny bopper kids, right? That's what's going on right now. They have to, why? I mean, could you imagine 20 years ago even thinking like this would be a problem? It's getting darker, and it's getting darker fast. So I want to go through each chapter in the book of Revelation and, uh, and not review it like I did, as I said, with Chad, but I want to look at the grace of God in each and every chapter where we see how he interfaces and interacts with his people. And with the lost. 
so you can see the heart of God in the book of Revelation, at the same time see how the end times will ultimately unfold. So from the very get-go, the very first verse is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Greek word is apocalypsis, which has to do with an unveiling. It's like a curtain on a stage being set apart so you can see what the contents are on the stage. Well, in this case, it's the unveiling of the plan of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's the unveiling of the Lord Jesus Christ himself as we get to see who he is in a more radical way. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave unto his servants, right? And it's a, it's a blessing, right? But this is what's interesting in verse 3. It says, Blessed is he that reads and they that hear and what? Keep the words which are written in the book. So it's not just a blessing to read it. That's a blessing, amen? But there's more to it. Blessed is he that reads and they that hear, he that hears and what? Keeps the word, amen, is a doer of the word. Because the book of Revelation, by the way, it's addressed to the seven churches, and it makes no sense that you're blessed if you read and hear and keep if the book isn't addressed to us and the times have nothing to do with us ever. So we're blessed. So you have the first of seven Beatitudes in the book of Revelation in verse 3. Blessed he that reads and hears and keeps the words that are written herein. Wow. And there's seven Beatitudes, seven blessings. Seven is a very prominent number in the book of Revelation, amen? It's no accident that God had seven blessings. The book of Revelation begins with a blessing. God wants to bless us. Don't be freaked out and say, oh, you know, I I don't want to read the book of Revelation. I don't want to go through it. Well, I know you guys haven't. And we have a beautiful online audience. I know you guys haven't because we've been going through it together. But you're blessed. You won't be blessed if you ignore it and refuse to know the content and refuse to heed it. It's so beautiful. And then in verse 4, right after that, it says unto him, right, who loves us. King James says loved us, but in the, in the Greek it's in the present tense, which is even better. Who loves us. And the King James says and washed us. I have it memorized in, in the King James. But washed us, but the, the best manuscripts have released us, although we have been washed by the blood. And later I'll talk about those who enter into the Holy City have been washed in the blood. Amen. But blessed are those, right? We're blessed we read here and keep. But guess what? Unto him who loves us. Do you know Jesus loves you right now? Do you know he cares so deeply for you right now? Do you know he wants you to experience his unfathomable love? Amen. Unto him who loves us and what? Released us from our sins by his own blood. See, we were held bound. Jesus came, Luke chapter 4, to set the captives free, it says, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Amen. So we were captive by our sins. We're captive to Satan. We're captive to demonic powers. We're captive. We're under the wrath of God because of our rebellion, our alliance with Satan. But when Jesus died on the cross, he did it to set us free from that bondage, amen, to release us from the wrath that we deserved, to be set free and be called sons of God, amen, for our feet to be put on a rock, for a new song to be put on our mouths, and to proclaim his excellencies because we've been set free from Satan's power. Jesus said, it says of Jesus in 1 John 3.10 that he came to destroy the works of the devil. And he's done that, man, through the cross. And you can have victory through his blood. And the works of the devil could be destroyed in your life if you cling to Jesus. Amen. Amen. So I know I have to move on beyond chapter 1. So that's going to be my task. And to chapter 2 and 3 and 4. But a little bit more on chapter 1. Otherwise, we'll never get to... I'm not going to do a part two of this message by the grace of God, please, Lord. You know? so, uh, but a little later, Revelation 1-7, Behold, he, that is Jesus, comes with the clouds, and every eye shall see him. Amen? That's the blessed hope of his glorious appearing. Amen? Every eye shall see him, and they also which pierce him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. He's going to come. Amen? The kindreds of the earth that are rejecting him are following the Antichrist when he comes back. They're going to wail. They're going to mourn. They're going to, they're going to be gnashing their teeth even, according to Revelation 16. But for us who look for him, lift up your heads, Jesus says, for redemption draws near, right? And we see these signs coming to pass. You'll know that I'm near even, he says, at the door. It's a blessed hope for us. It's a mourning catastrophe for the wicked. And then it's interesting because then Jesus appears before John. He says, I was in the Isle of Patmos, right? And Jesus appears before him. And he sees him with his face shining like the sun in noonday. <sighs> because now, guess what? He's resurrected. You realize who we're dealing with here? You're dealing with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's the ultimate authority. And his face shines like the sun. And by the way, the sun is just a little flicker of light compared to the cosmos, where there's billions of suns made by the sun. Everything was made by him. 
John chapter 1, 1 through 3. He made the entire cosmos, every sun, every star, everything. And by the way, the Bible says that heaven and earth cannot contain him, and the heaven and heavens cannot contain him. He's a big God, amen? amen. And then John follows the dead man. He lays the right hand of John, upon John. He says, fear not. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of Hades and death. He's in control of everything, ultimately. Amen. Then in chapter 2, you have all these beautiful promises. More grace. There's warnings to the churches. Five of the seven churches are warned in chapters 2 and 3. And uh, because five of them are warned to repent, two churches, Philadelphia and Smyrna, are not called to repent because they're walking with the Lord. And there's great teaching there for all of us as Christians because every single church ends with something like this. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We're supposed to learn from those churches. Amen. And every one of those churches has a promise, a blessing, God's grace, love, mercy to the overcomer. Right? In chapter 2, if you overcome, you'll be given a white stone with one of the churches. That's really cool. A white stone? What's so cool about a white stone? Well, when God gives you a white stone, it's super cool because God gives it to you, right? But what's a trip about that is back in those days when you went before court because you were arrested and you stood before the judge and the verdict came down and you were guilty, guess what they would give you? Would give you a black stone if you were guilty. You ever hear the term being blackballed? That comes from that ancient practice where in court you were given a black stone and you were guilty, man, off with the head. Or go to the gallows or whatever it was, depending on what region you were in through history, you could be blackballed from something. Well, guess what? He'll give us a white, or you were given a white stone, which meant you were acquitted, not guilty. The crazy thing is we are guilty or we're guilty, but he's declared us righteous, justified, which means to be made righteous in the sight of God, to be made right with God, amen, through the precious blood of his son that was shed for us, amen. So the overcomers get a white stone. Uh, the overcomers are pillars in God's household, in his temple, we read. Uh, we read all these wonderful promises in chapter 2, chapter 3. If we overcome, he will not take his candlestick out of his, the, his place. That's a promise to the church of Smyrna, which is also a warning, because he's in the midst of the seven candlesticks with seven lampstands, and they have left their first love. He says, repent, remember for when thou art fallen, repent, and he says, do what you did at first. Because he says you've left your first love. He says, you've tried those who say they're apostles or not and have found them liars, but I have this against you. He says, you have left your first love. Remember from whence art fallen. Three R's. Remember. So if you've left your first love, remember where you were with Jesus when you were close. And repent. Do a 180. Go back to him. Turn back to him in your heart. Amen. And then repeat. Do the things you did at first. Do those things you did at first in your walk with Jesus. It's the same way in a marital relationship. If your marital relationship's getting stale, and, and distant and so forth. You need to do, do what you did at first in your marriage relationship. Amen? Remember when you were close. Go back. Do what you did in the beginning. And love one another. Amen? So, and he won't take the candlestick out of its place when it comes to the church. That's a beautiful promise. I love it when he says, uh, you know, uh, he that, you know, overcomes, we close in white raiment, right, white garments. Amen? And their names will not be blotted out of the book of life. That's a good promise, huh? I like, not being, I like the idea of overcoming and not being blotted out of the book of life. How about you? Amen? So great promises. And guess what? For those who keep his word, that's why it's so important to read, hear, and keep. You know why it's so important to read, hear, and keep, brothers and sisters? Because to the church at Philadelphia, blesses them, or he says, this is awesome. He promises to the overcomer, he that overcomes, right? And keeps my word, right? Because thou hast, he's basically talking to the overcomer. Because thou hast overcome, verse 15 says, he says, I also will keep thee, because thou hast kept, actually literally, he says, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, which is part of overcoming in Revelation 12, 11. Because thou hast kept the word of my perseverance. Because you're holding to my word and persevering the faith, I will also keep you out of the great tribulation which shall come upon the, all the earth to try those who dwell on the earth. What a promise is that? And the Greek words keep from is tereo ek. Tereo means to be guarded. And ek means to come out from within. There's different Greek prepositions like apo, A-P-O, if you spell it in the translation from the Greek to the English. And apo means to stand away from, but not to enter into a situation, but to stand away from. The Greek word ek means to come out of something. 
Like in, in, in Greek, when it's illustrated in Greek grammar books, you'll see like a circle, and you'll see an arrow pointed out of the circle. Ek means to come out from within. Or you'll see a house, and you'll see somebody leaving a house. You know? But he'll guard us, ek, trao, ek, bring us out of the great tribulation. It means you had to have been in it, right? For those he's promising uh, uh, deliverance. And, but that's the promise that's for those who keep his word, the word of his perseverance. That's why it's imperative that you keep his word. Amen? Because in Revelation 7, it talks about a great company of people, saints, believers, that he sees that come out of, ek, the great tribulation period. And they're safe there with God. So it's important that we are loyal to him to receive these blessings. Amen? Because we, you keep the word, he will keep you. He'll protect you. He will preserve you. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, that we are kept by the power of God through faith. Amen? What a beautiful promise. We're kept by the power of God. That's God's keeping, loving, gracious, merciful power. Amen? But there's a condition. It says we're kept by the power of God through faith. Amen? So it's imperative that we have the faith. So when you read Revelation tw uh, 1, 2, and 3, they're chock full of all kinds of blessings. I've only just scratched the surface of the overcoming promises. Then you get to chapter 4. Chapter 4 in the book of Revelation. Now John is, is, is caught up to see the heavenly scene. He's caught up to see what's going on in heaven. There's a lot more going on in heaven than is going on right here, girls, guys. Guys and girls. <laughs> get both of you in there. Uh, there's way more going on in heaven than is going on here. And what you see is you see the Lord on his throne. And he looked like Jasper and Sardius. Blue and green. And then he looks like uh, around his throne is this, this beautiful rainbow. It's like a concentric throne. And, around, and the rainbow is emerald, the color of life. Can you imagine seeing a beautiful green emerald? Can you imagine seeing them with perfect eyes that have been resurrected? Can you imagine seeing it radiating from God? Who, by the way, he's the one that invented the rainbow. Okay? A rainbow has to do with his covenant with people that turn to him. Amen? That know him, love him. And the entire earth, actually, that he wouldn't flood the earth again doesn't say he won't judge it again. He'll judge it in righteousness and truth. Next time it'll be with fire. Amen? So it's interesting because when you see God over and over again through Scripture, when he appears to people, we read that God is love in 1 John 1, or 4, 8 and 4, 16. Yet three times we read that God is a consuming fire. Wow. That's why the seraphim put two of their wings over there as they fly in his midst. They, they put two wings over their eyes, and, and their, or I should say their faces, and they're called seraphim. I personally, studying seraphim in Isaiah 6, have come to the conclusion that seraphim are the cherubim. The cherubim are the seraphim. They're the same angels. Because when you look at how they have four different faces in Ezekiel, that's what you see with the cherubim in Revelation chapter 4, which I've just mentioned to you. They have four faces. And it's interesting, the four faces are, 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 are the same. Well, why are they called seraphim and called cherub cherubim? Because when they're called cherubim, that's the kind of angels they were. Satan was a cherubim, right? He was a, he was a cherub, I should say, one of the cherubim. Im is plural in the Hebrew. He was a cherub. But these, these four, it mentions, the, the seraph, it calls them seraphim in Isaiah 6. Why does it call them seraphim in Isaiah 6? And you know, it's funny. I didn't change my views on pretty much anything when I went through the book of Revelation twice because I'd always been studying it. But I changed my view on this. I used to think cherubim and seraphim were different angels. When I compared them, I'm like, it's the same angels. But seraphim is a description of what they look like because they're before the throne of God and they're before God and they're flying with two wings, hiding their feet with two wings, hiding their faces with two wings, saying, holy, 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 art thou Lord God Almighty. The same thing that they're saying in Ezekiel. They're saying in, in Isaiah, I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 6, which you compare with Ezekiel, and you compare it with Revelation 4, they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, same thing. And they continually say it, it says. But what's crazy about it is seraphim means burning ones. It describes what they look like. They're called cherubim, but he sees, he saw, he sees these burning ones before the throne. They're just like, because they're in God's very presence, who's a consuming fire. That's scary, he's a consuming fire. Well, he also became flesh in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's love, Amen. It's just showing how powerful he is. And a lot of times he reveals himself as a consuming fire in his righteous wrath against the wicked. Okay? Because there's several times that it speaks of him in judgment and it compares him to a consuming fire 
three times it says he is a consuming fire. And that's his response, his holy response to the wicked. Can you imagine going to court and going before a judge and the judge is perfectly righteous and you don't only get the verdict, but you also suffer his wrath and he's a flaming fire? That'd be pretty gnarly. This is way beyond that. This is the God that created the universe. That again, heavens and the heavens of heavens cannot contain him because he's that big. He's that powerful. So the book of Revelation, you see he's this radical God, but you see that he's a loving God. And he's got a covenant. He's got a, of, of, of patience. And there's this rainbow emerald and these different colors. And by the way, when it says in Revelation chapter 4 that these, it describes this rainbow, emerald rainbow and, and that he looks like sardius jasper and so forth, it's a trip because Ezekiel chapter 1 verse 28 says when, when Ezekiel sees in chapter 1 around verse 4 this fire that the, of the Lord, you know, and then in verse 28 he looks... And he sees the Lord, and he sees that, he says, I saw what, look, he says, a rainbow on a cloudy day. A rainbow on a cloudy day, on a cl- on, in a, like a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day, he says, was his appearance. It was radiant all around him. So the Lord is incredibly beautiful. The Bible says God is light, amen? And in him there's no darkness at all. He's pure light. In fact, in chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, it says that he dwells, he alone possesses immortality. He alone is self-existing, right? And it says he alone, and, and the Bible says, goes on to say in that same verse, I think it's around verse 16 or so of 1 Timothy 6, that he dwells in unapproachable light. Unapproachable. We'd be consumed if he was to reveal all of his presence, amen? So now he, Moses, like, I want to see you, I want to see your glory, Okay, Moses, you can see my glory. He puts him behind a cleft of a rock so he doesn't get destroyed. And he just lets him see his afterglow. And when Moses sees his afterglow, he records what he sees. Kindness, right? He describes the goodness, the beauty of the Lord. He's like, wow. So our God is beautiful, guys. His, it's not some little yellow halo that's around him, man. It's a full-blown rainbow, man, emanates from him. Isn't that a trip? I want you to understand the beauty of our God, the revelation of Jesus Christ. When they saw Jesus, he was bludgeoned. He was, he was marred more than any man. Amen? Amen? They didn't get to see all the beauty of the Lord. But when we see the Lord Jesus Christ, we will see the wounds in his hands. That speaks of his love. They'll still there, Revelation 5. But we'll also see him in his glory. Because guess what? We will be in the light. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah, Who can endure everlasting burnings? You look at that, you're thinking about talking about hell. No, it's talking about the presence of God. Who can dwell or abide in the everlasting burnings? No one. Except he goes on to say, those who have clean hands, right? Those who, have, those who belong to the Lord will ultimately be able to dwell in his light. Not now. Our sins have been forgiven. Now we're able to go into his presence, amen? But we're not able to experience the fullness of his glory until we get resurrected bodies. And then we're in New Jerusalem where there's no more sunlight. The light that's there, we're in his light. The light is from the Father and the Son, amen? That's just so heavy when you think about it. And that's in Revelation, in Revelation 4. You get this glimpse of God on the throne and the, and the cherubim and the angels. It's beautiful. Then Revelation chapter 5, it gets even more crazy because now you have this heavenly scene and there's a scroll with seven seals on it. And John comes to understand that these, this scroll needs to be opened to execute God's plan on earth. And John begins to weep greatly. Why? He begins to weep greatly because there's no one found in heaven or on earth or under earth that's worthy to open the scroll. Why? Because we're all sinners. And he just weeps because he knows the scroll has to be opened to bring about God's ultimate rule on planet earth and to further God's plan for the cosmos. And he begins to weep. Because we've messed everything up. Nobody's worthy, amen? Even our righteousness is like filthy rags. I, just, I was saying to you earlier about the rainbow and the number seven and so forth, right? Being the number of perfection. Seven trumpets, seven seals, seven bowls. All these sevens throughout the book of Revelation. Even in life we have how many days completes a week? Seven. How many, mu- how many notes to a musical scale? Seven. How many colors to a rainbow? Seven. Six is the number of man, right? And by the way, if you look at the official, you know, gay pride, LGBTQ, it's a six-color rainbow, not seven. That's the number of men. They leave out the, the they leave out the one of the colors. It's interesting. Uh, 
Now, it's interesting as well. By the way, I just read this morning, it was so heartbreaking, front page news, the first article I saw was a, a man was outside a transgender with kids kind of thing, adults and kids, and he just had a sign up, you know. Jesus said, go and sin no more. Had a sign up, and, uh, and they arrested him, you know, because of his sign and because he was, he was on the, he said, I'm on private property. He goes, yeah, but you can't say that to them, you know because I guess he vocalized it, you know. And, and then they let him go, because I guess they didn't have enough, because uh, he said, I was not doing anything illegal. And he said, in the interview with him, he said, God's not the author of confusion, right? He's not the author of confusion, and it's just total uh, confusion. And, and he told the police officer that was arresting him, he goes, hey, they're cheering me on in hell. And he was referencing the rich man who went to hell and wanted to have his brothers, right? He wanted to be set free so he could warn his brothers not to go there. Amen. Of course, heaven is, is, we have a cloud of witnesses, right, that have gone before us that are witnesses, and they cheer us on as well, I believe. So it's really interesting. When you hit chapter 5, nobody's found worthy. We're all, we're all unworthy. We all deserve judgment. Amen? And he's weeping, and John's told by the elder, stop crying. Stop crying. Don't, don't keep crying. And uh, why stop crying? Because there is one, he says, that has overcome so as to release the seals on the scroll. And then who steps up? The Lord Jesus Christ. He says, he saw one, he said, the lion of the tribe of Judah steps forth. And he says he saw that he was slain as a lamb. One that's been, he looked as one that had been slain like a lamb. He's the lamb of God that was slain for us, amen? And it's beautiful. And he takes the scroll out of the hand of the Father. By the way, those who teach that, that Jesus is the Father, that there's no Trinity, there's just one person in the Godhead, and he's Jesus, he's the Father and the Spirit, that's a false doctrine. Even in Revelation, you see that the, that the Son is at the right hand of the Father, and he partakes takes from the scroll from the hand of the Father. Amen. And it's powerful. And all heaven breaks out in praise and worship. Praise that begins with the cherubim, that goes to all the other angels, and then before you know it, eventually it reaches everybody. Everybody. Everybody's going to praise Jesus. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess one day. Amen. Amen. I don't know how you could be interested in stuff more than what the Bible says. The book of Revelation is such a fascinating book. It has, to me, it's like, why would you not be into this book? Why would you not be into what the Word of God says? Why would that not interest you? You got to ask yourself, do I really love God and His Word, or is it all about me? It's all about myself. Because Jesus takes center stage in Revelation chapter 5. It should be all about Jesus in your life. Amen. Amen. Because everything is flowing to his throne. Everything is going to, everything, everyone, everything, even the trees are going to clap their hands. Everyone's going to bow down to him in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Amen. So it's imperative that we do that now. Amen. You want to make sure you're bowing down now. Because you're going to bow down, you want to make sure you're bowing down in his presence, not under the earth. Amen. That's critical. So then in chapter 7, you know, now in chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 5, we see that going on. Then in chapter 6, you have the unloosing of the seals. And you have the white horse rider, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, right? You have the, the, the different riders. I'm not going to go into depth in them because I want to explain, instead of going into those things, I wanna, I'm speaking about the grace of God, the love of God in Revelation. So we're not focusing on all the judgments. I want you to focus on those. I've got years of studies. I went through all those. So go to, go to those, you know. But I want to talk about the grace of God today because we're ending with a verse that emphasizes his grace is offered to all. Amen? Amen. He wants to have grace on all. But those who experience his grace are those who submit to him. And in chapter 6, we do see the grace of God. Because with one of the horsemen of the apocalypse, and one of the seals, is death. And all kinds of people die. In fact, a lot of Christians will be put to death at that time. Well, where's the grace in chapter 6? And this was a good study for me. Because I didn't even open the Bible in my study. I'm being honest with you. I just meditated and thought about each chapter and went through each chapter in my heart and began to seek the Lord this morning. I already had one and a half messages ready for you. And this morning, when I woke up, I just meditated on it and prayed. I said, Lord, I want to look at your grace in every chapter. And when I hit chapter 6, I go, where is your grace there, Lord? I know the grace is there. And it's like, there it is. Under the fifth seal. He opens the fifth seal, and he sees the martyrs crying out to God, how long? The souls of the martyrs. How long until you avenge our blood and those who dwell on the earth? Well, how is that grace? This is grace. It shows me grace because guess what? It shows that those who are being killed, right, by the Antichrist, the white horse rider, being persecuted to the point of death, 
They don't cease to exist. Amen? We don't cease to exist. Where are they? They're in heaven, in God's presence. The souls are there, crying out to God. And the Bible says to be absent from the body, to be where? Present with God. Isn't that grace? Don't you want to know when you die, you're going to be present with the Lord? In fact, Paul said, I'm torn between two desires. One is to stay here and be with you where I could bear a lot of fruit. But the other one, he says, is very much better. Two adjectives to describe better. Very much better. He loads it up. Paul doesn't usually do that because it's so much better. To live as Christ, but to die, it says, is gain. Amen? Amen. So the good thing is if you're trusting Jesus, and this doesn't happen in your lifetime, you still want to know, absent from the bodies, beware. Present with the Lord. Amen? Present with the Lord. That's beautiful. And then they cry out, how long do you avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And they're given white robes because they're not yet resurrected. Here's some white robes. Rest a little while until your brethren, the rest of your brethren are killed like you were. Because God's building up a cosmic testimony on the theater of this world in the end times to show the wickedness of the world and his grace and his love, pleading with people to not follow Satan, to not follow Antichrist, to not follow the wicked, to turn from their sins. And they're crying out, how long until you avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth, O Lord? And guess what happens? That's the very next seal, the sixth seal. Remember that? He opens the sixth seal, and what does it show? A picture of the very end. A picture of Armageddon. You see the sixth seal open, and the kings of the earth and mighty men, they run to the mountains, into the caves, and they beg the mountains to crush them, to fall on them, to hide them from the wrath of him who sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. Because the great day of his wrath has come. It's the day of the Lord. Right now we're in the day of man. When the Antichrist reigns, six, six, six. That's like man, 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 right? Incomplete, without God, trying to have their own kingdom. But guess what? How long until you avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? In chapter Six at the end, when you look at the sixth seal, it shows a picture of the end, and they're crying out because this is the very end. They're not fighting. They're not, it's not even the sixth. It's not even a, the fourth or fifth bowl, which are shown later, where they're trying to defy God and they're blaspheming Him because of their sores. No, this is showing the very end when He's because He's showing them. This is guess what? You're saying how long? This is what's going to look like. I'm going to wipe these wicked men out. Don't worry, I've got it handled. It gives them a picture of the end, and they're destroyed. The great wrath of God comes. But guess what? There's a question asked. The great day of his wrath has come, we read. And it says, who shall be able to stand? Can you stand God's wrath? Who will be able to stand? If God punished you for the wicked things that you've done, and you know you've done some wicked things, we've all fallen short, myself included, of God's glory. Amen? We all deserve God's wrath. Amen? Amen. Who will be able to stand? Well, just like that scripture says, who can abide or dwell in the everlasting burnings? Woo, we deserve it, man. We deserve hell. But who will be able to stand but by the grace of God? It's asking a question because we can't stand our own righteousness. The Bible says all our righteousness is like filthy rags before God. Even what we do before men, and we think, oh, look at what I do. Guess what? Before God, if it's not done in God and for God's glory, it's just wood, hay, and stubble that'll burn up on the day of judgment. Amen. Who will be able to stand? Well, Revelation chapter 7 shows his grace and shows who will be able to stand. And this is proof that it backs up. Remember, I always say the sixth seal is a picture of the end, but then it backs up again to what leads up to the end. You know why we can prove that it backs up? Right in chapter 7. Because in chapter 7, he shows who is protected and sealed before the great day of his wrath comes so they can stand through it. Are you with me? Woo, that's pretty powerful, man. That shows you the sixth seal is the end, but then it backs up because he's asking the question at the end, who's going to be able to stand? Only those that have the grace of God will be able to stand. And you know who it is? First, he shows 144,000. He backs up and shows, he calls the judgments to the wind and everything to stop for a period of time until the 144,000, 12,000 from each of the tribes of Israel are sealed in their foreheads before the trumpets blow. It's a trip. And that way they won't partake of God's wrath because they'll be sealed from it. Amen? Well, that's great for the Jews. That's great for the 104,000. What about me? I'm, I'm not a Jewish person. I'm not a male virgin. I'm not part of the 104,000. How am I going to be protected? Does it say that I'll be sealed? You don't need to be sealed. 
If you're a Christian, you've already been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians, Ephesians chapter 1. We've been sealed to the day of redemption. Amen? A warning. That's in chapter 1 of Ephesians. Chapter 4 is a warning. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you've been sealed to the day of redemption. Then it warns about those who go on and live wicked lives will not inherit God's kingdom. In chapter 5, and there's no chapter break in the beginning. It's a pretty powerful warning. But guess what? If you're sealed and you're abiding in Christ, guess what? You're protected. Amen? They're protected from the wrath to come. So he shows this great multitude of people from every nation and kindred and people and tongue. All these ethnic groups, amen? The gospel kingdom preaching the world is a witness to all the nations. Then the end will come. And guess what it says? He shows them standing before God's throne. It says he saw that they came out of the great tribulation, which obviously they went through it. And he shows them standing before God's throne, palm branch in their hands, it shows them doing what? What are they doing? Standing. Revelation 6 at the end, who will be able to stand? They're clothed with white robes. They've been cleansed, it says, by the blood of Christ, the blood of the Lamb. Amen? Amen. They've been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, of Je- the Lamb. That's Jesus. I've told you there's 28 different times the word Lamb is used in the book of Revelation. Every time but one, when it's used of the false prophet who makes himself look like he represents Christ and does miracles to get people to worship the beast, the Antichrist. He's a deceiver. So be a huge counterfeit revival going, counterfeit kingdom under the Antichrist. It's coming. We're seeing it work out right now through the New Apostolic Reformation, a lot of post-millennialism and everything else where they're going to say, oh, this is God's kingdom on earth and it's going to be a big deception. But when he says, who's going to be able to stand this judgment? The 104,000 will be able to because they're sealed. You've already been sealed, amen. And you've got the blood of the Lamb covering you, amen. Amen. You're covered in the blood of the Lamb. And it says those that come out of the Great Tribulation, he sees them standing, boom, there they are. It's beautiful. The grace of God. Throughout the book of Revelation, we've only covered seven chapters. We're a third of the way through almost. Better look at the clock. (laughs) But isn't that awesome? Oh, by the way, the Passover, the lamb. Why is a lamb being used of Jesus over and over again? More times in the book of Revelation than the rest of the Bible put together, this lamb directly applied to Jesus. Don't tell me the book of Revelation isn't a book of full of grace and love and mercy. Because what was the 10th plague? By the way, did God protect his people or did he have to rapture them out when they were in Egypt? Did he rapture them before the seven plagues hit? No. In fact, even when darkness is one of the plagues, Ra, the main god they worship, Ra was their chief god, the god, uh, uh, the sun god, right? Sometimes uh, put with Horus. Guess what happens, man? Boom, he's blotted out. Darkness. God is saying, guess what? I rule the sun. I rule everything, amen? In fact, those judgments, I've gone through them before. A lot of those judgments are repeated or they're similar in the book of Revelation. Pharaoh is a picture of Antichrist. Moses is a picture of, as the deliverer of Jesus. Aaron, right, he's a picture of like the two witnesses, you know, who does do, do miracles, paving the way, uh, and so forth. And Moses acts as his own witness as well. What's interesting about this is when you look at what's going on there, is they were, they, was there darkness upon the Jews in Egypt? No, they were in the land of Goshen, which is part of Egypt, but guess what? There was light in their dwellings. Isn't that interesting? God protects his own people. It's beautiful. And what happened if you put the blood of a Passover lamb up on your doorpost and your lentil? That's right. The death angel would pass over your house and you wouldn't be judged. Amen? But those who did not have the blood of the lamb on their doorpost and their lentil, their firstborn was killed. Even Pharaoh lost his firstborn and there was great great anger and great pain. And he finally said, let, he finally let them go at that point, right? Then he changed his mind, of course. But what's interesting, and then went and chased them, and then God wiped them out in the sea. This is all, these are all pictures of the end times, by the way, guys. What happened with the world empire of the time, Egypt and God's people, it will be repeated in the book of Revelation in regard to the end. It's mind-blowing. But on a cosmic, on a, on, a, on a global level, this is coming. Instead of Pharaoh, it'll be the Antichrist. 
They got boils, right? Remember that? Well, those who take the mark of the beast, they'll get boils on their hands. Not us. It says the beast worshipers, those who have the number on them, will get boils, painful boils on their hands. Not us, because it's selective wrath. Do you understand? So we're saved from the wrath to come. Amen? And by the way, keep in mind, the lambs that they had to slay to put the blood on, they had to be full-grown males. Jesus was a full-grown male. Amen? They had to be... uh, Killed, that Jesus was killed. They had to be spotless, right? They had, to, they, had to, they had to look at them for five days and make sure they didn't have any blemishes. When you look at Jesus, he goes into Jerusalem and they try to find fault with him for five days. Can't find any fault in him. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And when he was crucified on the cross, guess what? It was on Passover day. Just read the scripture. That very day, he's being crucified while they're crucifying their lambs. And I say crucifixion. When you see how they used to have... Lambs are even killed to this day. They'll put them on spits and they'll spread them out. They look like they're on a cross. And all these lambs are being killed and roasted and Jesus is on the cross. And John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, Jesus, our Passover lamb, was slain for us. Amen. Amen. And by the way, why not just put a little blood on the door? They put it on both sides of the door, on the lintel, right? Or the doorpost and then on the lintel. And it would drip, right, of course. And what would it make? The form of a cross. He is the Lamb of God. Well, wait a minute. How will we be protected? We're not protected from tribulation. They still, even, they, you can still get killed by the Antichrist. There's a difference between tribulation and wrath. Tribulation is Satan's anger pointed toward believers. All those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Amen. Paul, who said we're not appointed to God's wrath, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, a couple chapters earlier, that we are appointed, he says, to tribulation. Tribulation is some stuff that Satan throws at us, right? God allows to perfect us. Wrath is speaking of God's wrath against his, the wicked. We're not the wicked. We've been saved from the wrath to come. Amen? Amen. Do you get it? Amen. So we're not appointed to wrath. But this is, this is a heavy thing, guys, is when you think about it, is there any scripture that kind of uses that imagery of us being protected at that time? Like that? Like the Jews who were in their homes? Yeah. Some Christians will flee to the mountains. Some will be killed. Others will be put in prison, it says. But you know what he says in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 20? Really, really interesting verse. Isaiah chapter 26. By the way, 24, 25, 26, and 27 is what we call the mini-apocalypse. In Isaiah. It's like the book of Revelation, but four chapters. And you know what it says in verse 20 during that time? He says, Come, my people, and go into your rooms and shut the door behind you and hide for a little while until his wrath passes over you. Does that sound familiar? That's beautiful. Come, my people. I like it. It's like, come, like, you know, some translations say go. But come, like, like, I got a plan for you. Go into your rooms, close the door behind you, hide for a little while, until my wrath passes over you. What do you think comes to the Jewish person's mind when they read that? There's going to be a Passover again. That's right. We're not appointed to wrath. Amen? God is so good. So then in chapter 7, it backs up. Right? Because sixth seal brings you to the end, right? Antichrist is there saying, crush us. The great day of his wrath has come. It backs up and says, guess what, though? God's going to protect his people. They're going to be able to stand. Amen? Make sure you're one of God's people. Amen? And then in chapter 8, since he's backed up, then he starts showing the trumpets blow. What will lead to the very end when the Antichrist and the kings of the earth are standing against God and wanting to be crushed. It backs up and the trumpets start blowing in chapter 8. One trumpet after another. I'm sorry, well, before the trumpets start to blow in chapter 9 and 10, 8, what happens initially at 8 before the trumpets start to blow is the prayers, all the prayers of the saints, right? Now, I won't spend time on this because we talked about this recently when, when we talked about thy kingdom come, right? All the prayers of the saints, which is every time you prayed thy kingdom come, thy will be done, our Father, amen, and you meant it from the heart, all those prayers, the millions of times that's been prayed, the billions and billions and billions and billions of times that has been prayed, and all the times you said, even so, come Lord Jesus, all the time you said, Lord, establish your kingdom on the earth, guess what? 
all these prayers of the saints and the saints, the, the, the saints of the souls under the altar saying, how long, O God, do you avenge our blood of those who dwell on the earth? All those prayers we put up on the altar before God. And guess what they initiate? The trumpet judgments start happening. Boom, 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 boom. So don't think your prayers don't matter. Don't think your prayers don't get answered. Well, but I asked for this and I didn't get it. Well, he always answers one way or another. Yes, yes, no, or wait. Amen. Amen. Thy kingdom come, that's a wait prayer. And praise God, it will come. Amen. Remember the widow? And she's praying in Luke 18. Jesus talks about her. And it says that Jesus gave a parable that we ought to pray always and that we ought not give up. I love that. Not just pray always, but that we ought not give up. He doubles up on that. And he talked about a widow who was getting uh, just really mistreated by a wicked man, taking advantage of her. She has no help. She has no husband. He's taking advantage of her. She goes, she goes to the king and she's like, or the king, she goes to the magistrate and says, I'm being mistreated. Please help me. He won't. And Jesus said, she kept going and going. Finally, she wore him down. And finally, he avenged her enemy for her. And he says, even so, that's how it's going to be, he says, when he returns. And he says, will the Son of Man, when he returns, find faith on the earth? Will he find faith on the earth? Praise God, he's going to find faith on the earth because we have that great multitude, right? Praise God, we got the book of Revelation. Praise the Lord, there's believers from every nation, people, and tongue. Amen? But he's, he's hurting too because he also knows, as he predicted, there'll be a great falling away. Amen? A lot of people fall away. Make sure you keep the faith. And by the way, I love that. He says, will he find faith in the earth? You know how he de demonstrated faith? His faith is demonstrated in Luke 18? By praying and continuing to pray. I don't know how you can't continue to pray as a Christian in this world. I mean, you see what's going on in the world right now? I'm and I pray, thy kingdom come all the time. You know? I pray, even so come, Lord Jesus. I am so glad. I mean, right now, we're, it's, I don't have time because I, he just gave me the 15-minute sign, and I've got like 15 chapters or something left, okay? So I'm like, Lord, help me get through this. But, so I'm going to have to hit the chapters a little quicker now. But uh, what's going on in our world right now? Uh, they're indicting, they've indicted Trump, be arrested pretty soon, never did this as a former president, because he mishandled classified documents. I'm not saying it's not a big deal. I don't know exactly what they have on him. We'll find out, right? But guess what? I know there was a gal named Hillary Clinton who just destroyed a bunch of cell phones and bleach-bitted her laptop when these files were subpoenaed by the government and she destroyed them. And Comey admitted that she destroyed them, but we're not going to prosecute. Trump hasn't done anything like that. He didn't destroy these documents and stuff. Isn't that interesting? But it shows you that we do not have justice in this world. Could you imagine if Trump and, Trump and one of his sons, one of the juniors, all of a sudden, they found out that they made $10 million for, for doing favors for other nations and were putting it through several different banks to hide it and so forth. And President Trump was getting rich, which he really didn't need to get rich, right? That's why a lot of people said this guy's not going to be sold out for money because he has all kinds of money. Well, now they apparently have a whistleblower and the evidence that this has happened. And they were uncovering it with Biden. Could you imagine if that happened to Trump and his son? There'd be immediate, you know, be beyond the level of Watergate, but that's not happening yet with Biden. Isn't that crazy? And you see that, and guess what? I feel bad for conservatives and those who know what's going on and those who have eyes to see who don't know Jesus because they're getting ulcers. They're like, oh, I can't, oh, I saw you do something. And I'm like, I get ticked off too, but I say, even so come, Lord Jesus. Thy kingdom come, man. You are going to rule this planet and the universe for all eternity, and you are going to step your feet down and exert your authority. Amen. So we have a blessed hope. And that keeps me from going nuts when I see all the injustices in this world. When I see them targeting our kids, right? Target, literally targeting our kids, right? And I see Mulvaney dressing like a little, little girl, promoting pedophilia, it looks like to me, you know? Um, and it, it, you know, Bud Light and everything. I see all that stuff going on. I'm like, what in the world is going on here, man? We knew it was going to get wicked. We've been saying it for a long time, so I'm not shocked. But it makes me say, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Come and rule with a rod of iron. May justice flow from the heavens. Amen. So now I've probably got 12 and a half minutes. Jonathan's thinking, man, what's he going to do? Okay, no part two. So then you get to chapter nine. You see more of the trumpets blow. You still see God's grace. It's offered to people, but it says in verses 19 through 21, they refuse to repent. 
They don't repent of their sorcery and their worship of demons and their sexual sin, their perversions, right? Their sexual deviancy. They don't, of their, of their drug use, right? Their pharmacia. They don't repent of their murders and their idolatry, all that. Which shows me the Lord's heart was to bring them to repentance. See, even after these, all these people were killed, after these judgments, they still don't repent. That shows you just like Pharaoh would not what? Repent. Their hearts would become so hard. But showing that God would accept them if they repent. Even in Revelation chapter 2, he says to Jezebel, a woman, a false prophetess at the church of Thyatira, he says he cast her and her children into a bed of sickness because of her sin. But you know what he says before that? But I gave her time or space to repent. But she didn't repent. This was a gal who was teaching people to commit idolatry and to commit sexual sin. He says, my servants, leading his servants astray. And he was patient with her. Wow, he's patient with the world. Don't tell him, we, we, don't have, we have a God that's patient. A lot of us say, Beyond with it, God, let's just go. He doesn't know. He doesn't, well, that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. That's the heart of God, chapter 9. Chapter 10, now I've got to go fast now, but in chapter 10, you see his grace. You see this angel put a foot on the sea and a foot on the land with, an, with a rainbow around his head, right? Some believe it's a Christophany, a picture of Christ. And you see that's taking authority over the planet. And then he says, in the voice of the seventh angel, when the seventh trumpet blows, it'll be done, amen? And the mystery of God will be finished as he promised to his servants, the prophets, amen? So God's grace and his plan will be finished. It's going to come to completion. What's that great mystery that he said will be finished? That people from every nation, kindred, people, and tongue, this is the great mystery in Romans chapter 15 and 16, in Ephesians chapter 3, elsewhere, that God's going to be people from everywhere to know the Messiah, to be saved and become one body in Christ, the bride of the Lamb, Amen? And then you get to Revelation chapter 11, and then you see that seven, you see the different more trumpet judgments, right? The three woes that the, the eagle flying in the midheaven says, whoa, whoa, whoa to the earth, right? And then guess what happens, man? It's pretty powerful. You see uh, the seventh trumpet blow, the last trumpet, which is when Paul said that we'd be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, amen? That we receive our immortal bodies. And it says the seventh trump angel blew, and guess what? He says it came time to reward his servants, the small and the great, Amen? Jesus says, even so, in Revelation 22, it says, even so, come Lord Jesus, right? But before that, it says he comes, and his reward is with him. When he comes is when we get rewarded. And it says, in Revelation 11, when that seventh trumpet blows, it's another picture of the end. It's a picture of the end. It's giving us a picture. This is what it's going to be like at the very end. Boom. He's going to catch us up. He's going to reward us. And it says the wrath, his wrath came. Powerful. But we're being blessed. He's rewarding us. We deserve eternal judgment. I'm just happy to get in to the, th I'm happy to get past the door and say, praise the Lord. Well done, a good faithful servant. That's going to be beautiful. I know I deserve to be torched. But then to get rewarded? Wow. Then you go to Revelation chapter 12. And there's too much in Revelation 12. That's several weeks of grace because you see a woman clothed with the sun and the moon and the 12 stars. Who's that a picture of? Remember that? There's a woman he sees. In this, he's look, he sees a woman clothed the sun and the moon and the 12 stars. Who's that a picture of? Amen. Now you're all saying it. Israel. Praise God. Like, we, do we need to go through Revelation again for several years? Okay, you're right. It's Israel. Amen. Which shows you that God's faithful to his promises. Amen. Because he says the, the cosmos, the sun and the moon, the stars, all that would pass away before they cease being a people before me. And it shows that he's still got them in his hand. He's still got a plan for Israel. And Israel became a nation again. We just celebrated their 75th anniversary, just May 14th, just last month that he brought them to become a nation again. Never happened to any other nation. But God is his word. You cannot doubt his word when you start seeing all these prophecies fulfilled. Okay? And then you see her, and then you see the saints. Woe to the earth because Satan is cast down. Now he can no longer accuse her. The accuser of your brethren is cast down. And he's a mean dude, man. He's accused of the brethren. He's called in verse 9 the diabolos, the, the slander. He's called the satanos, the, the opposer. He's called the, old, the serpent of old, the great dragon. Five things he's called, at least in chapter 12. But guess what? We have victory over him. Revelation 12, 11, and they overcame him, that is Satan, by the blood of the Lamb, because what Jesus did for us on the cross, amen, gave himself for us. And by the word of their testimony, amen, we have his word, we confess his truth, and they love not their lives even to the point of death. We hold on to our testimony until he, he returns, amen. And then in Revelation chapter 13, whew, Lord, I just went halfway through about, just over halfway through, so Lord, help me get this last 10 minutes in. But in Revelation chapter 13, you won't see, you'll say, where, where's, the, where's the grace there? Not that we need grace to show up in every chapter, but there's grace there because, I see grace there because 
there's the mark of the beast comes out. The, the, the world worships the dragon. They worship the Antichrist, it says. And they worship the dragon who gives his power to the beast, Revelation 13.4. So the world can be full of devil worshipers. Have anybody watched any of the award shows lately and stuff with Sam? All these, you know, all these different, they're just worshiping the devil more and more. You should see it. We, I think we got 20 plus thousand views on that, Chad. We just did Hollywood basically admits the Satanism in their industry. And we just show some Hollywood saying, they, one guy, we saw the guy that was in Fast and Furious and Transformers, and he's saying, yeah, it used to be a secret in Hollywood. He goes, now they're having award shows where they're promoting Satanism. He's like, it's just because, yeah. Well, it says the whole world will worship the dragon. But guess what? It says that those who are to be killed with the sword will be killed with the sword. Some of us will be martyred. Those who go into captivity will go into captivity. We'll be imprisoned. Oh, that's sad. How is there? Praise God. You know Why? Because you know what? If you ever want a prison ministry, you got a prison ministry right there. And Jesus says, don't premeditate what you're going to say when they arrest you. Why? Because the Holy Spirit, Mark 13, will give you utterance and speak through you at that time. Satan's at work, but God's at work. Amen? And why is the Holy Spirit speaking through you? Because he's calling people to repentance. Because he's, we're going to be pro, uh, proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with the true spirit of prophecy. The Bible says the testimony of Jesus in Revelation is the spirit of prophecy. And that is proclaiming his word and truth. Amen? So it's just chock full of promises. And, and then in chapter 14, woo, look at the graces. Still, even though the number of the beast is being rolled out, everybody's supposed to take the number of the beast, you have three angels flying through the midheavens. One of them is saying, Babylon has fallen. It's fallen. Judgment is coming upon Babylon. The prayers of the saints are going to be answered. Another one, it says, it says, don't take the mark of the beast, right? Another one says, the promise, and I love this, by the way. Another one preaches the everlasting gospel. Another angel flying through the midheavens. Because guess what? It's going to be harder and harder. Christians are getting arrested. It's hard. But guess what? God says, no, my, my gospel, my, what my son did for the world will be proclaimed. And an angel flies through the midheavens proclaiming his victory, proclaiming the gospel. And it starts with fear God. And I love it. But when we're told not to take the mark of the beast, and it says if anyone takes the mark of the beast, anyone takes the mark of the beast, it says they'll be damned forever and ever. There'll be no rest day and night. The smoke of the torment will go up forever and ever. And by the way, unfortunately, people are falsely teaching today that you could take the mark of the beast and still get to heaven. Just repent later. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Okay? Because that would make Jesus a false prophet because Jesus says if anyone takes that mark, this is what will happen to him. And by the way, in chapter 14, there's also grace because those who do persevere, it says when they will enter into their rest. That's, that's beautiful. And then chapter 15, it shows their rest. It shows this crystal sea. And on the crystal sea, you have the saints who have been put to death, or those who've just died and they're with the Lord on the crystal sea singing. Remember the sea, the Red Sea? Moses? They sing the song of Moses. Miriam leads it. Now they sing the song of Moses. It says, and the song of the Lamb. We're with the Lord. Amen. Then chapter 16, he promises a blessing. Uh, Jesus, Jesus coming like a thief. In the midst of Armageddon, it talks about the nation, the world's gathered together to fight against Christ, but you're blessed. You're blessed if you keep your garments, you know. Because he's coming, coming like a thief. Amen. So there's another beatitude there. Just you'll be blessed even in the midst of Armageddon. And then chapter 7, you see Armageddon pictured in around verse 14, where it says, The ten nations give their power to the beast right before that, and they wage war against him who sits, him who sits on, the, on the horse, Jesus, the lamb. But guess what? It says, who are with, Who's with him? His army. It says, Those who are called, those who are faithful, those who are, I'm sorry, those who are called, those who are chosen, those who are faithful. You're called. Whosoever will, everyone's called. But you don't become one of the called group that's saved until you're what? You're chosen because he knows you will be faithful. He chooses, chooses those who will come to faith in Christ. Amen. And then in chapter 18, it shows the destruction of Babylon, but there's a clarion call from the Lord and his throne on those who are mixed up in Babylon, Christians who need to make sure they get that foot out of the world. And he says, come out of her, my people, lest you partake of her sins and of her plagues. Amen. So God doesn't want you to partake of the sins of the world system, amen? And if you go back to the world and turn your back on Jesus, then you'll also receive the plagues that she, she deserves. Don't do it. Then in chapter 19, we see the, the, the bride of Christ has been made ready, amen? It's beautiful. She's been made ready. And it says his bride has been made ready. And it's been made for her to be clothed in white garments, bright and clean, which is the righteousness of the saints. So the bride isn't taken seven years earlier. This is right before Christ comes back in chapter 19, verse 11. His bride's been made ready. How's she been made ready? She's endured these things for Christ. 
She's put her faith in the blood and she's held on to him. And then she's made ready, verses 7 through 9, for the wedding supper of the Lamb. And guess what? Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, just after that, they, Jesus comes back on his white horse, right? He has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he comes with the armies of heaven, amen? And he takes dominion over the planet. And the beast, it says in the last few verses, 18 through 21 or so of Revelation 19, the beast is taken with him and the false prophet, and they're thrown alive into the lake of fire, and their armies are destroyed, Amen? Then in chapter 20, guess what? You have the first resurrection. Because when Jesus comes back, what, what happens? We, we rise up. Those, the, the, those who are with him come with him from heaven, the saints that have died, and their spirits come with him, and their bodies are resurrected. The dead will rise first. And then we who are alive, anyone who's still alive on the planet, Christians, there'll be some that are, will survive, Paul says, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5. Those who survive, that will be caught up to meet them in the air. Amen? And then that'll be our resurrection. And Jesus says in Revelation 20, Jesus reveals that Satan is now the beast and the false prophet are thrown alive in the lake of fire. They don't even get a judgment, man. They're judged right there. They don't get a, like a, a, a formal judgment. The, Satan is bound for a thousand years. We reign with Christ for a thousand years, us believers. Amen. And it says, Blessed and holy is he that partakes in the first resurrection. For over him the, the second death has no power. Isn't that beautiful? Second death has no power over you. If you, you want to make sure you catch the first train, okay? You want to make sure you're in the first resurrection. Because the next resurrection doesn't happen until after the thousand years. And in Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15, it's those whose names aren't written in the book of life. Amen. The book of life of the Lamb. And they're thrown in the lake of fire where Satan and the false prophet were thrown. Satan's thrown after the thousand years, after he's let loose for a short season. Chapter 21 in Revelation well, then you have, he sees a new heaven and a new earth where there's no more sorrow, no more pain, right? No more tears. All the tears are wiped away. He that overcomes will inherit all these things. Amen. And it describes New Jerusalem being 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles like this perfect uh, symmetrical cube, which is a picture, was depicted by the Holy of Holies, God's very presence that nobody could get into. Now we are in God's presence in abiding in the everlasting fire, which is beautiful, translucent light, which reflects, refracts to us. We're the living stones that are built into him, and we are the stones of light that transmit pure light. Remember that study? There's specific jewels that are taken that, that, that emit perfect light. Then in chapter 22, man, it's, it's, it's more about that throne and how water, pure water comes from that throne. Amen? The water of life. And in Revelation, that's verse 1. In Revelation 22, 17, there's a beautiful promise. Let's see that, uh, another promise, right? And that promise is basically to come. Come, right? Let him who hears, it basically says the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the bride, that's us, say come. And whoever will, let him come. Whoever's thirsty, let him come and drink of the water of life freely, amen? It's offered to all. The grace of God's offered to all. And it ends with grace being offered to all, but it will only be possessed ultimately by those who bow the knee to Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords, amen? amen. Praise God. Can we all please stand? Praise the Lord. God is good, Amen.